0: Welcome to this Centrum podcast. For more podcasts or to join Centrum programs building creativity in community, visit us at centrum.org. This is
1: Jazz Voicings, a show that features conversations with faculty from Centrum's Jazz Port Townsend led by Artistic Director John Clayton. I'm Program Manager Greg Miller. Every great musician has been shaped in part by teachers, mentors, or experiences that resonate throughout their lives. We're accustomed to hearing these world-class musicians express themselves through their performances, but they are also thoughtful, articulate, and witty, as you will hear. I hope you'll enjoy this episode of Centrum's Jazz Voices. Let me start by just welcoming everybody to Jazz Voicing. This is a, it's a series that's put on by Centrum and it's kind of a mouthpiece, no pun intended, uh, for musicians to just let it all hang out. We get to talk about whatever we want to, whomever we would like to talk about um, and we don't always get to do that. So that's kind of a special thing about this period that we're going through now that we can share These thoughts, these ideas in a forum that's more public, uh, yet in a way intimate. I I kind of like that about this offering. Um, My thanks to Greg Miller, to Joe Gillard, to the staff at Centrum for helping us out. uh, And I'm so excited to welcome our guests tonight. Uh, We're going to be talking, I mean, the, the heading is jazz lessons that changed my life, but honestly, that's just a spark plug, I mean, we're going to go, we're going to talk about anything, or I should say that you guys are going to talk about anything, because I just want to be here on the sidelines, it's really a conversation between our guest artists uh, this evening, and those guest artists, I'm so excited to introduce uh, the wonderful drummer, Allison Miller,
2: hi, hi,
1: amazing saxophonist I like that word uh tia fuller
3: hello everyone <laughs> and my, sister,
1: my sister bassist uh marion hayden ladies
3: and gentlemen.
1: <laughs> so you know yeah i think it's probably because we can all read bios and stuff like that but i think that it's it's more fun to get the just sort of the backgr- background, background, backstory from each of you about your beginnings and things and in, in your rise to fame, as it were. Um, so much more interesting than just reading bio notes, don't you think? So uh, please share with us, uh, Allison. you want to start and just give us an idea of, you know, what your surroundings were in the beginning?
4: Yeah. Okay. Um yeah I mean I I would say that well I was I was born in Texas and um, it's funny I always say that with a question mark <laughs> I <was laughs> like, uh, but I was born in Texas and uh, I didn't start to discover I always wanted to play the drums but I would say it was when my parents moved to just outside uh, Washington DC in Maryland is where I really uh, discovered jazz and I feel very fortunate because um, at the time, DC had such a beautiful scene. And from a pretty young age, I got introduced to um, Keeter Betts, I would say, was the main the, the main influence from that young age. Keeter, and there was such a great scene there. Ronnie Wells was an incredible jazz singer and her husband, Ron Elliston, and... Um, Mike Smith. uh, These are all, I'm I'm mentioning all people who've passed. uh, um, But uh, Tommy Cecil, James King, Steve Novosel. I'm I'm naming all bass players. I basically was raised by bass players. I love you
1: from the beginning.
4: (laughs) But I would say Keeter was really one of my big influences. There was such a great mentoring community there at the time and he really helped us. but even before that, I really have to uh, give a lot of props to my parents. Uh, my mom was a, a choral director for 30 years. And so we, I really started music in church and um, she would have the, me and my sisters get up and sing trios uh, for all the holidays. And, um, I would, and I was in the youth group and my dad ran like a, we were like a Christian rock band uh, at the youth group in the youth group and I would so I would say church was really where it was at for me and my mom basically said you can play drums but you have to learn piano first so she taught me piano and then finally she let me play the drums and um, from then on it was just kind of my first drum teacher Walter Sob. it would have me sit in with his big band and then once I turned 16 he would send me on his gigs as a sub. Uh, But I started gigging at 14 in DC. And um, what else Uh, I would say, oh, the other influence I had, big one was that my dad was an engineer, an audio engineer on the side. Um, He kind of had a day gig so he could like, you know, raise his, you know, pay for all the bills. But then on the side, he built a studio in our basement. And a lot of the DC jazz players and classical players would come and record. So I would, when I was really young, I would just sit on the staircase and hear that's how I met Keeter. I would hear Keeter Betts. I would hear uh, Etta Jones recorded in our basement, Houston person, all these incredible players, um, Larry Willis. And that's really where I heard the music firsthand and uh, fell in love with it. So,
1: yeah. Oh, I love these. I love this. Is the stuff you you don't get this stuff when you read the bio online, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Uh,
5: yeah, it's it's funny because I um, too come from a musical family, and um, and it's as you were talking, Allison, uh, I just wanted to share a picture because uh, I've, I've talked about my family, and it's just a couple of slides just to show you because. Um, one thing that I've realized, especially <clears throat> in um, like reflection during this time of stillness and, and not really um, gigging and moving around as much, is, is how much and how integral and, and how much on the shoulders I'm standing of, of my mother and my father and my grandmother, and my grandfather. And then all of the little intricate ways um, that my life, like how I was groomed, It really has molded me. And, um, and of course I've always known that, but there are just some little thoughts that I, um, I've lived by and, and now through conversations with my parents, I'm like, Oh, that's actually you, dad. That's because I helped you, you know, build the, the bar in the basement. And I was like painting the walls and drilling and all of this stuff. But, um, so I just want to start off and, uh, share this picture. Um, can you all see that? <laughs> so this is my family. Uh, that, that's my sister, Shami. Um, this is my dad who plays bass. Uh, my mom is a jazz vocalist at about 16. This was eons ago. <laughs> and then my little brother, um, he was 11 years younger than I and uh, this is my sister and I um, as children. And one thing that my mother ingrained in both of us, I remember we had a um, a playroom up in the top level of our house, which is a bedroom and on the door every day. This is what I see. If you can imagine it, you can achieve it. If you can, you can become it. And that poster is still up there. So this day, I'm going to stop, stop sharing my screen, but that to me, um, over the the course of my life, I have seen this and it was like, a. It was, I asked my mom, why did she have phrases up like this? Like I was brainwashing you. I was brainwashing you in a positive way. And I now I look over my life and I'm like, man, this is really, um, the fact that my mother had this when I was three, this is something that I've truly tried to live by and try to, you know, live by a crystallized vision. And so, um, and this is outside of music, but I think this is definitely... Um, contributed to um, just uh, many of the blessings that I've had in this music is because the, the rearing that I had from both my mom and my dad. So um, yeah, I grew up in a musical family in Colorado. My dad, I grew up um, with the bass player. My father's a bass player <laughs> um, and I realized how much that has really uh, affected or contributed to my, my writing. And also my playing, um, the the certain element of rhythm. And then also my mom singing, hearing her, I I always would be like up in my bedroom while they were rehearsing in our house. And I'd be trying to sing into little cassette tape, trying to sound like her, even though I I don't consider myself a vocalist. Now that she's not singing as much, I'm kind of tapping into that to celebrate her voice. And and then um, of course my sister, Shami, um, like you Al. I remember sitting on the stairs of our house and I was in high school and um, I was listening to my sister's g- group at the time. They were called Jacques Nouveau and Rudy Royston. They they had just started dating then. Um, and Rudy Royston was playing with some other musicians in Colorado. And I was just sitting there like, I want to do that. And I had just, you know, I was trying to play the saxophone, but <laughs> nothing was really happening. So all of these, um, uh, all of these pictures that I kind of go back to, I'm like, wow, these really helped to mold and uh, shape my my journey, and really, really thankful for that.
1: So, did you stay in Denver the whole time? Did you? Where did you go after Denver?
5: Oh, so I was in Denver um, until I graduated from high school. And then I um, went to college at Spelman in Atlanta, Georgia, where I am right now. I'm actually staying at my my friend's house visiting her. Um, and then I came back to Colorado for grad school, at University of um, Colorado, the Boulder. And I was actually the first uh, graduate of that jazz pedagogy program, which was, um it was cool, but I was of a guinea pig so but I got my masters for free so that was (laughs) that was a blessing and then after that I moved out to New York um I took a year off saved up what I thought was a lot of money but was not uh and moved out to New York in 2001 before the World Trade Center collapsed um right on September 9th actually so that was that's a whole other conversation (laughs) but stayed out there um and at first I thought it was an omen that I wasn't supposed to be there. But again, with vision and this, this quote, if, if you can imagine it, you can achieve it. If you can dream it, you can become it. I, I stuck to my big picture and, um, just tried to start attaching myself to the vision that I saw. And, um, here I am.
1: That's so great. Wow. And (laughs) currently you're teaching in Boston, right?
5: Yeah. I am, well, now that we're virtual, I'm kind of mobile, so I've been bouncing around just a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I'm teaching at Boston, um, at Berklee College of Music, where I teach ensembles, and I'm also um, starting a domestic exchange program with Berklee and Spelman College, as well as leading some other initiatives there. So. It's really exciting time um, at the institution. And I know we're kind of all at a standstill, but really trying to take advantage of this time to plant some seeds, you know, like all of us are and um, do some work as well as take a breath and exhale.
1: (laughs) Marion, so I'll just say it the way I always heard it in church when somebody would walk up to you, look at you say, who's your daddy? So. (laughs)
6: <laughs> right. You know, right? You know the translation. Yes. <laughs> who, who are this. your people, as we say? Who are your <laughs> people? <laughs> who are your people? <laughs> yeah, we still do that here in Detroit, just FYI. I okay, still do good, it. Good, it's, still, it's still a good way to, to check, check in on folks. So uh, first of all, I just want to say, that was most elucidating, um, my two sisters. I really enjoyed hearing your story, Allison, and your stories, Tia. And just so, just um, disclaimer: I really love these women. So just nobody think this is not like this is not three strangers. But these are two women that I really, I truly do love these women. I really adore them, and I have love history you. with them. So uh, we're not strangers on this.
4: <laughs> we love you.
6: Yeah. We love you too. <laughs> so, uh, uh, well, let's see. Um, my my story is a little different. I was actually raised by a teacher and uh, and um, a closet jazz pianist. My dad was actually played piano. He was a he was actually a pretty darn good pianist, but he kind of hit it. He would only just sit every once in a while. He'd sit down to the piano. And I'm from Detroit, Michigan. That's my hometown. And I spend the majority of my uh, uh, career uh, living here. But you know, as my, this is my tour base. Uh, as a bass bass player, so shout out to all all, all the bass all the bass all the bass dads. That on this. this is so awesome. Yes. So, um, but um, so you know, my household, um, I just kind of was really steeped with a lot of jazz recordings when I came up, and uh, I started on cello when I was about nine in my little in my little uh, elementary school in Detroit, which at that time had just some. Detroit, um, the Detroit of my youth had a crazy public school education, music education program. And I'm always on a soapbox about, not uh, about how important they are for young folks. And, uh, you know, we're, that that a lot of times this is the first place that people, that young people really have a chance to experience music and get lessons. And so I started off on cello, but that was only because they didn't have a little bass. If they had had a little bass, I'd have started bass at nine, but nobody knew about half size basses. then; wasn't a thing, at least not in my school. So so as soon as I got about 12, it was like, oh, actually, actually when I was nine, I was downstairs trying to play along with, with jazz records. As soon as I got my bass, I was definitely in the basement with a bunch of jazz records, just saying, let's see if I can play this. I didn't even know that was the way to learn. I had no idea. I just loved it. And... Um, uh, and my my parents, my mother was a teacher. She was a science teacher. I always have to give her a shout out wherever I am. Um, this is a heavenly shout out because she passed two years ago. But uh, my mom was a um, 1949 graduate um, from University of Michigan in chemistry, and um, this is really significant because um, the um, the class that she was in, the class, the entering class, was 1945 was one of the first classes that was allowed where black students were allowed to live in the dorms. Okay. And previous to that, you were not allowed to live in the dorm if you're a black student, they actually had other housing that they procured for you to live in. So I just, so, um, so I, I'll add to that because I think it's really important to, to really think as you all talked about, upon whose shoulders we really stand. And I know as a black woman, I really stand on the shoulders of that generation, and my mom in particular, someone who was just really brilliant, and someone who probably should have been pushed towards uh, like a, a, a Ph.D. in uh, uh, in uh, chemistry, but but she ended up being a teacher because that was what they had for black women at the time was. But anyway, so. It it just a really super brilliant black woman and a black man that was uh, that was a um, that was into swimming my dad was a swim coach and a diver and a super jazz lover and apparently that's how you make a bass player so uh, so. (laughs) And the other way thing you make way you make a bass player is you don't tell a girl no. so they never said no they never said girls don't play a bass they never said girls don't play jazz they never said girls don't anything so. Uh, so uh, and on top of that I was um, just so lucky to be uh, raised in one of the most fertile um, jazz soils in the world which is Detroit Michigan the place who has been the place who been the um, the uh, you know the jazz the soil that um, of course we have to share PC with Pittsburgh because we know he was from Pittsburgh but he did spend a lot of his childhood and and uh and a youth in, in Detroit at Cass Tech. And I have behind me a poster, which is actually meaningful. Some of you can see that it says Detroit on base. And there's some of, some of the greatest bass players in the world that are on this, post, on this poster. That includes, of course, our, our dear friend, Mr. Ron Carter and PC and Doug Watkins and uh, folks, folks that we know such as Major Holly and uh people that that are, are some of our, our young giants like Rodney Whitaker and Robert Hurst and Ralph Armstrong etc so uh, those were uh, so that's the lineage I come from in Detroit um I just I was able to kind of get into some great jazz youth programs so that's why I'm a huge proponent of what Centrum is doing and any of these any of our programs where we can just get in there with young folks because I know what a difference it makes and um uh, my mentors, the mentors that were mine when I was a young, I continue to be on the stand for them for for the rest of their lives, and that was in that and the learning was a was an ongoing learning process. It was just so so lovely. So and and on top of that, since Detroit is one of the pivot points of the jazz world, I had a chance to play with just some fabulous players when they've come through town, and uh, I just uh, credit. That as being a part of my uh, really deep dive experience into into the music, um, that has really really uh, changed my life and made a difference. Yeah,
1: that's so amazing. So so, have you lived anywhere else other than than Michigan, or did you?
6: Um, here and there, here and there, a few few other places, but um, I you know I like to say um, is you know we have an airport so. <laughs>
1: I know, it doesn't matter where You live now as as you're you know, know
6: what I mean? Yeah, we got an airport. And so I, I, I you know, I've toured across the world, but this is a, it's a pretty easy place to live here. The cost of living is good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, I can get in a jar in a, in a car and drive five hours and be in Pittsburgh or mm-hmm. I can be down in Cincinnati. I can show up in Chicago and on my way to Kansas city. You know, I can be in Indianapolis you know what I mean. So I can, I can. Even get a lot of places in a car from here, and certainly we have an airport. And uh, plus, Detroit is this. Uh, my experience here has been a completely well-rounded education in jazz. I like to say it. So it's got rigor, and it's. Uh, I had all the classes. I had big band classes. I had uh, um, New Orleans traditional classes. I, you know, with the great Charlie Gabriel, who was. Who was the head of the Preservation jazz, jazz Band, Charlie Gabriel, my, my dear friend? He's uh, spent many years here in Detroit. We're very close. Um, ragtime music. I probably one of the foremost black female experts in ragtime music, Taslima Bay, who lives here, and so I spent a lot of time, many years on the stand with her. So, you know, getting to know the music Jelly Roll Morton and uh, Scott Joplin at all. So, it's just a, a deep dive. Deep what down. Amazing <laughs>
1: environments you, you we all have shared. Because as I'm listening to you guys talk, I, I realize w- I the common denominator that I feel here, it's not the case for everybody, is that somehow in your households you were introduced to, if not this music that you play now, to music. And and you and you all three had that crucial support from your parents, and I'm just kind of going. Yep, yeah, there's there's that there's that line again. I mean, in my house, it was my mom who played piano and organ and uh, led the church choirs, and you know we were in church all day and night Sunday. I'm telling all day and night. Do you hear me? Like in the morning, get home at eleven. <laughs> I told my mom that was. She said, I don't remember being there till eleven. I said, Mom, we were there. And we got home at 11 o'clock, because, well, you know, you, you know, the drill, but um, I heard so much music because my mom would sometimes have uh, her little vocal gospel vocal groups come to the house and they'd rehearse. And I, you take that for granted as a child, even though you're kind of enjoying it, it's fascinating. On the other hand, it's just part of your life. It's just, you know, this is home. It's kind of not a big deal. Only until you're further down the road, you realize, oh gosh, that stuff that's in my blood, it, it is a big deal, and it it started there. So that that's so You know, this is probably the perfect time to, as we're reflecting and looking back on our our beginnings. You know, what were some of those beginning, and and lessons? Let's use lessons as the sort of a, a real loose term. It doesn't have to be like in a in a uh at a a one-on-one kind of lesson situation with a teacher but you know whatever lesson you can think of that really you know changed your affected your life if not changed it somehow affected it you know allison you want to yeah I know my, there are
4: many, My but. my uh my, my son was kind of screaming about a couple minutes ago, so I was hoping he would stop before you asked me another question.
1: <laughs> well that could be part of the real backdrop. Uh, I'm cool with listen, that. Listen
4: listen, I mean I don't have a door in my office, so it's the, 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 it's the, the sounds come in. Um
1: We're family. <laughs>
4: Uh, That's a big lesson That's I have found um, parenting has been a huge lesson for me with in relationship to my music for sure. Um, Yeah, you know what, a a certain lesson just popped into my head and it it goes back to Pittsburgh when I was in college. So I I went to a a state school um, in West Virginia, West Virginia University. And there was surprisingly a, a kind of a great scene right in in Morgantown, West Virginia. But where I ended up spending most of my time was uh, in Pittsburgh. I would drive to Pittsburgh. I would work in Pittsburgh. Uh, at the time, I was just going to try to hear Roger Humphreys as much as possible, who was really one of my favorite drummers and um, drummer on the Jody Grind, a, a, a lot of uh, Horace Silver records. And Dwayne Dolphin. Um, wow, so many great players were living in Jimmy Ponder. Uh, so many great players were in Pittsburgh at that time. And I, uh, at the time, there was this place. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of this club. Carlitos, maybe it was. It was in the South Side in Pittsburgh. And Roger Humphreys had a jam session there, and every Sunday night. And so I, that's where I would go on Sunday nights. And I would have to say that one of my big lessons at that time was sitting in uh, and sitting in and playing somebody called One by One, and I didn't know the tune. And how could I be a drummer and not know this tune, you know? Blakey. It's like, so I remember that as a real lesson, you know? And I I got through it, but I was kind of humiliated. But everybody was supportive. But they were like, yeah, you should know that tune. You know, it was like was a real schooling moment but Roger was sweet about it and um I went ho- I mean listen I was I like found the record you know this is before the internet well pe- the internet existed but I wasn't on it and um I found that record and I wore that record out you know it was like one of those moments where like wow I really need to know this tune and I know that tune you know like after a couple of weeks I really knew that tune and I that that's that's the lesson that just popped out for me. So, um, and just being able to go and and listen to a master like Roger Humphreys every week was something that I will never forget. And that's really what brought me to New York. And you know, I was thinking, we were as I was listening. You know, T is in Atlanta right now, and um, Marion's in Detroit. And I was thinking about New York right now because this is where I am in Brooklyn. And, you know, I'm not sure why I'm here right now. It's just a hard, you know, it is a hard time in New York. You know, there, there are things happening. Like I did actually record a record today. uh, But I think, you know, it's a hard time here, you know, and and part of me kind of wishes that I was somewhere else right now. Like when, when Marion was saying Detroit's a good place to live, I was like, oh. I want to go there right now, you know, and it's not that New York's not a wonderful place. It is. But there's a certain hustle in New York that kind of doesn't go away even during a pandemic. But there there isn't there aren't the rewards of New York right now, you know, so it's a little hard. Um, um, But my what to go back to the lessons, um, what brought me to New York really was that feeling that I got with Roger, you know, where I wanted to be in a city where I could go and, you know, as a 21 year old, I could go to the Vanguard and just at that time you could just say you're a student and they would let you in. Um, I could go and I could watch, I could like sit right next to Billy Higgins and see Billy play for seven nights in a row, you know. To me that was really kind of what I wanted, I just wanted to be. I just wanted to make that deep dive, like Marion was saying, and just hear my heroes as much as possible. So that that is what brought me to New York and really brought me to some serious lessons, uh, which maybe we can talk about a little later, some private lessons I took with some some master drummers that really changed my life. So Mm.
1: yeah, Yeah, we definitely have to hear about that. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Tia. What about a lesson that really kind of just turned your life on its edge.
5: Again, going back to my parents. um, And this is more or less like a a lifelong lesson of my mother, she would always have these quotes. So my mother as well, she was an English teacher, both of my parents are in education, and she retired as an administrator, but started off as an English and drama teacher. And so, you know, she would be correcting my sister and I, um, at dinner, our grammar at dinner, <laughs> it was like that. And, um, but, uh, you know, one of the main lessons that, that she taught me on a consistent basis is that, and having an element of stick-to-itiveness. And this is a term that she had coined, I think, and basically sticking to something to a job until you get it done. And the lessons that she, the way that she would reiterate that is like on Saturday was it's time to clean the house day. Everybody, <laughs> everybody get in the house, grab your you know buckets, your pants, your wipes and we're, we're cleaning the house. And I remember specifically I was wiping, um, we had a big, or we still have a big glass table. It's like black lacquer legs, but glass. And um, and of course I was trying to get by and halfway do it and you know, not go under the table or get the black lacquer. And she'd come and kind of inspect our work and she saw my work and she was like, Tia, it's not done correctly you were not thorough. That is, you did not do this correctly. And I was like, okay, I'll just get that. She was like, no, you're gonna do the whole table over again. So <laughs> I'm like, no! So things like that kind of stick out as to when you do something the first time, make sure you do it correctly and you do it with the utmost ability that you have. Um, another lesson from my dad, um, this is a shorter story. But uh, we would be on gigs with my parents, so we have a family band called Fuller Sound. And um, Shami would be on piano, and then uh, I would be playing, and I was like 18, you know, I was trying to break into the scene in Colorado, and he would literally be on the bandstand yelling at us, like, play, play, you guys got to play, and he would be yelling at us, sometimes cursing at us, and <laughs> And I asked him this a couple months ago. I was like, Dad, do you remember? You used to curse at John Me and I, telling us to play, play. He was like, what? You know my dad, John, <laughs> and his subdued personality now. Back then, it was a little different. But, um, and, and he was like, really? I was like, yeah. And he was like, wow, I guess I do remember. But I, I didn't want you all to be scared, because I already knew that you you were young ladies. Playing this music, and I didn't want you to be to, you know, tentative or hesitant behind attacking this music. And so, as a result of that, like I've had to, I bear down. I think my natural, um, my natural space is to bear down and like play really hard and deep. And it wasn't until probably the past four or five years ago where actually Terry Lynn was like, "Tia, you don't always have to bear down all the time. You could kind of like." With both of those, I just realized that, um, you know, that they, my, my parents, uh, they have definitely paved the way. And just as far as this music, the, the approach um, that now, like trying to maintain this balance, this element of spirit of hustle that I also saw my dad doing We after gigs um, he would be going to about four other clubs. He's like, baby, come on, let's go to this club. And I'd see him hustling for gigs, like just, you know, trying to negotiate with club owners. And so the spirit of hustle, I definitely got from my dad. And then I got the spirit of optimism and really being diligent and persistent from my mom.
1: That's so cool. Sheesh. So whether it's our parents, and hopefully that will always be in, in most cases, you know, whether it's our parents that are behind us supporting us, or we find it in the village, you know, doesn't matter. I think that that's kind of a story for anybody that's moved forward mm-hmm. in, in a in a real positive and self satisfying way. How about you, Mary? What what kind of events or stories or experiences lessons changed you? Mm,
6: uh, I I like the like my like my two sisters have many. Um, the one that came to mind was one that kind of that that kind of was a similar uh, uh, lesson from the village from what uh, what Allison had, and um, I'll just say Allison, I had a chance to play with both Roger Humphreys and with Roy Brooks, both of which were on the song from my father record from us, uh, Horace Silver, and they're two two of my favorite drummers in the world. Roy has passed, but love Roger, just incredible, such an incredible drummer, such, such concept. But um, this is a really interesting story. I am, um, you know, um, when I was coming up, um, there were not always, um, let me just say that I did not always have fake books. Let's just say young folks now, um, now I'm gonna sound like somebody's mom, which I in fact am, but, <laughs> but for real, um, they have, the uh, uh, young musicians coming now have so many resources, right? You have uh, something like called I will call B that you can just flick on right on your phone if you don't know if you don't know a chart. Well, as a bass player, um, one of the usually I tell my young bass player, um, uh, my young bass students is that nobody ever not didn't play a tune because I didn't know it. Um, if I didn't know a tune, were, we were just going to be like some some kind person in the front line might say it's in B flat. The bridge goes to the four. There you go. <laughs> There's your information. Now, now what you're going to do. So, but so anyway, some in my early days as a bassist, uh, and also, you know, sometimes I'd be on gigs and, and, um, you know, musicians are different We're uh, some, uh, some folks are like, I tend to be a pretty organized, I came from a really organized household. My mom is a very organized person. And so, you know, I don't get on a a gig without a set list. And I and if I have when I have one, I rarely detour from that. If I do, I usually have have talked a little bit about what the detours might be like. You know, if I don't, if I feel indifferent, I might substitute so and so. So at least you know. Well back back when I was a when I was a young person playing, uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes my my uh, my 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 dearest mentors and people I work with were a little. They were a little bit more organic about their relationship to things. We would have some things that we had rehearsed, and you know, um, but there wasn't always like some sort of a pristine set list sitting on my stand, nor you know, would there. You know, they would say they may kind of take the liberty to decide on the stand what they were going to do out of the out of our known known repertoire things that, that we would expect that we would know, and then every occasionally there would be a zinger. So, um, on this particular occasion, I was at a concert, mind you. And I was on this concert with someone who I love dearly, who has been my, uh, who, um, who, who uh, passed about uh, four years ago, Marcus Belgrave, um, who was my mentor um, and, a, uh, and someone that I learned, that I literally learned jazz from when I was about 13. And so, um, so I was on a stand with him and uh, trying to think who was on this concert might've been Kirk Lightsey. I mean, this is a pretty illustrious band of folks that I have had access to, you know, just because and just was really learning from. So anyway, Marcus turns around and, uh, no, somebody on the front line turned around and said, oh, I'd like to do um, some, some song that I had just not a foggy clue about. I'm talking about nothing. And I was not close enough for anybody to yell changes And I was just really too, um, I was, you know, I didn't have my sea legs well enough to say, okay, I can make it through this, you know, like, uh, or ask, um, you know, ask, like, you know, for young folks, what I do now, I tell, what I instruct my bass players to do is to see if someone will be give, someone will give you a courtesy rubato course, a courtesy rubato course, what is that course? That's the course in which, um, in which you are supposed to figure that song out because because someone's going to lay it out a little slower for you, and you're going to find out what the what the key is. You're going to find out that what where the bridge goes if it's got a bridge. You're going to find out if there's any particular thing you li- need to look out for. You know, it's going to it's going to go two five to minor or some something whatever that is. You're going to get that. So I didn't know to ask for that, and so when they've counted this tune off, I stood there. Looked like a deer in the headlight and Marcus Belgrave turned around walked back to the stage and took my bass from me and started playing the tune. Now mind you he's a trumpet player and uh at the, of the many talents that he that Marcus had bass playing was not one of them. So, so, so it was not he did not do a good job on that but, but He, but he had the nerve and he was, and he was, you know, brave enough to do that. So that was my lesson in bravery. I never, ever let that happen again. And I don't care if you're going to call a tune. I don't know. I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to try to get hundred percent or at least be 80, 85 or 90 on that. And if I'm only going to get 65, then that's what you get for calling a tune. I don't know on, on the gig. But uh, but, if you, but if you give me a minute, you give me a rebuttal course or give me a hint, you'll probably get 90% or, or possibly 100 on, on, that, on that tune. But I learned bravery in that very moment. And I said, never again will I ever have, uh, uh, ever have that uh, happen to me on a gig course. I was super embarrassed. Somebody said I cried, but I'm not a crier. Not for that stuff. I cry over puppies and family, you know, babies and things. I don't, I don't cry on, this, on the gig. That's, that's not, my, not my thing. But I, but I was completely humiliated, and I said, "Okay, so that's it. No more ever, ever again." So yeah, that was that was of the many, many uh, lessons I learned. I learned bravery. I learned how to how to just just have to be a little bit braver, and just get out there and give it, get, give it what you have. And you're gonna have to even be more braver on the stand in front of people. That takes a little bit more, but we can do it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs>
1: That's so amazing. And you just reminded me um, Allison and and Marion, you guys just reminded me of um, my step up to the plate moment because I was a, I was I think I was a freshman in uh, at this local college here in Los Angeles Valley College. And I played in a, a trio that we'd put together and it was guitar and drums and me and I had I, I actually had a gig subbing for Ray Brown in the Louis Belson big band. And it was a thrill to be around all you know I played the first set and then Ray came late and finished. so at that gig were all these amazing I mean uh, Marsha Royal was there, Connie Condoli, um Cat Anderson, Blue Mitchell, Uh, on and on and on, all these amazing musicians, Louis Belson, of course, it was his band. And uh, after I finished my set, then I, Ray Brown came and I I got to meet some of these musicians and and Cat Anderson, I said, Mr. Anderson, it's a pleasure to meet you. I've heard these records that you've done with with Duke Ellington, they're so inspiring. They're just my favorites. And, And I said, you know, maybe I'm out of line, but I actually, at my college, they give us a chance to play these lunchtime concerts and invite guests. Would you ever consider playing? He said, oh yeah, sure, that sounds like fun. So he he said, give me a call and let me know. And so I, I called him, he came to Valley College and we just played tunes. And at some point he said, hey, you guys know all the things you are? And I said, "Yeah, I don't know if I really know that one. And we didn't have fake books or anything. And and, uh, the guitar player said, I don't think I know it either. And Kat Anderson said, oh, yeah, y'all know it. Here we go. One, two, one, two, three. Train wreck. I was so embarrassed. We came to a screeching halt. (laughs) And, you know, we finished the the set out. I went home, looked through my record collection, and I found all the things you are and learned it for life. You know, so it just was an example of an extension of what you guys are talking about how you know you have to dare you know tia's saying you, you got dare Got come on play and, and and you have to be wise enough and humble enough to fall on your face but then do your homework afterwards so i i'm it just is so amazing and so touching to to hear that. so along these lines do do you remember uh, songs, tunes that changed your life. I know you mentioned a couple of of um, kind of general people, uh, but were there songs that really turned you around that you had to explore, that you had to learn, that really, uh, Tia, you want to start this one? Oh,
5: yeah, yeah. Um, one of the first songs uh, that I, really got inside of was uh, Stars Fell on Alabama. And once again, rooting back to Spelman College freshman year, <laughs> I was wearing my roommates out. <laughs> and I my my best friend here, she can attest to it because she was there in, in those very humble beginnings. <laughs> but um, and so we had a Spelman College Jazz Ensemble. And uh, where we would go every spring break and we would um, go on tour. And ironically enough, this is a little side note, but Marion, I heard about you and I met you first through Joe Jennings, who, who was the teacher, Spelman. I remember, for, and he was telling me, you guys, I want you to meet this best player. Marion Hayden, you gotta meet, and I remember meeting you backstage. Wasn't that the Schomburg? I think, yeah, it was, it was at the, the Schoenberg. Schoenberg. Yes, yes. Uh, straight ahead, it was you. Yes. Yes with uh, <laughs> Yeah, and that was one of the most transformational performances that I had seen at that point cuz I was like these are all sisters, these are all black women and they're killing it and and he had told me about you. So it, yeah we're all connected here <laughs> but um it was during that time it was probably that year actually where we played stars fell on alabama so my teacher joe, joe jennings he had me um learn the song at the beginning of the year and he had me play that solo the Cannibal tra- uh at least transcribe at least transcribed solo um every single day of the tour the exact same solo. (laughs) And, and I think he was encouraging me to branch off, but I was too scared. So I just stuck stuck to the solo. And until this day, I would say 25 years later, I could probably get through the majority of it. (laughs) So that that song for me was really, um, I mean, that dug a lot into, you know, the persistence and like, I remember rehearsing, I was there at Spellman for like, 11 until 11 o'clock at night. And I got in good with the janitor. So they let me in the rooms when the rest of the music building was closed down. Um, but it was that song that really opened the doors for me, just as far as uh, Canterbury's voice. And then um, the second my second transcription and um, one that I dove into was John Coltrane's um, Giant Steps. And that was my sophomore year. And once again, poor Tamisha, that was my roommate. So, and I wore her out because I would play it on my boombox, put it on repeat, and I was really trying to internalize it, like in a in a subconscious way. So I put it on repeat all throughout the night, really, really, really low. And bless her heart, she did not <laughs> she did not do away with me. So I would say those two, um, yeah, those two.
1: to tell you, um, the, the, the audience may probably doesn't know that you came to me to my brother and myself and well, the other teachers that were part of the, um, the Vail jazz uh, educational effort. So we had our, our workshop in Vail, Colorado, when you were a high school student. Uh, you studied with my brother for that week, and that song was one of the, if not the, first transcription that he did. Oh! So we ended up. Oh
5: my! That's. Right. Oh my goodness!
1: So how, it just it just really hearing you say that, and then hearing that again. God, you don't know how many times I heard that in my house <laughs> as my brother was learning it. So, which was before you were born.
3: That, oh,
5: <laughs> that's crazy. It's funny because listening back, I, I was tearing up because there's so many connections at this point in my life now with where I was and then now where I am and like cycling back. And and then I remember like during the Vail uh, Jazz Party, there was a, a really talking about lessons. I remember you specifically saying, you all have to learn information so that you can forget it. Learn the music when you get on stage, you can just throw it away. And that just that really stuck out to me, John.
1: <clears throat> well, you ran. Oh. oh, what thank you for those amazing memories. Pers- <laughs> personal thing for me that so I really appreciate it. Um, Alison, how about you? Are there certain solos or things that really turned you around that stuck out?
4: Um well, I was thinking about songs after you asked that question and I would say um, as a young drummer uh, every single ballad <laughs> I ever played was a challenge for me. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about all the you know songs that where I you know when you asked the question I was thinking about what were songs I really had to that I was almost afraid of to play but Once I was in it, I was okay. But when I, it was pretty, all of the songs I think of are ballads. Um, And certain situations um, with different musicians. Um, I'm just going to name a few that came to mind. One time I, I wasn't in high school. I was just, I think I was 21. I just moved to New York and I went on a jazz cruise and I uh, gratefully got a chance to play one song with Shirley Horn at a late night jam session. And we played Body and Soul. And that was probably one of the biggest, uh, most influential moments of my life was to play a ballad with Shirley Horn. And it um, it felt like heaven, but it also felt like at any moment, I was not going to, I was gonna fall through the clouds, you know? uh because there was so much space and air between every beat and i have to say uh that was an incredible experience and i i i was so nervous so deeply nervous but uh she was uh, very supportive and um that was a really heavy experience for me another one um I can't remember the exact tune. This is I'm gonna I'm sounding like a drummer right now. Um, I call it drummeritis when you can't remember that how a tune goes when they call it. Oh, um,
1: I call that jazzheimer. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, another similar situation was um, every time I would play a ballad with Dr. Lonnie Smith, every time, and there was that similar kind of space in the tunes. Um, that would be kind of overwhelming, uh, and I, it was such a such a lesson every time we played a ballad. Um, I just would sit, you know, I would sit kind of behind him, and to the left a little, just so I could see, so I could see his feet and his left hand, and that way. He
1: Plays Hammond B three organ for. for
4: like uh, yeah, and um, you know, the, I really learned that it's not. This is not about. You know, as much as I love and I and I preach practicing with a metronome, uh, I, it's just not about that, you know, and it was about a feeling and I really learned that with him, you know, and I would just watch his left hand um, and his left foot and I really, you know, teach that to my students about keeping your eyes open, being really aware of what's happening on stage and and Making like not just an, an oral connection, but a real visual connection with your bandmates, um, because that can really help the music uh, breathe and help lift the music, and almost I think it can help the the, the band become one. Like we're, you're breathing together in a in a way. Um, another tune that's not a ballad. Actually, I la- I later learned this tune was written originally as a ballad. Was uh, is Herbie Hancock's actual proof? Uh, that tune. I learned, um, that was a real tough one for me. Um, A couple of my mentors, DC mentors, when I was a kid was um, Paul Ballenbeck, great guitarist, and Scott Ambush. Uh, Paul would hire me on gigs when I was really young and just, he would just school me so hard on these gigs and he would call actual proof every time and play it really fast and I just couldn't hang. (laughs) So that's another one that came, came to mind that was a one that I really had to shed, so.
1: So as a result of those, when they call those tunes, you have to play them. How did you shed? What did you do when you went home?
4: Well, I think, you know, for the brush playing, the ballad playing, um, as a drummer, I mean, listening to singers, you know, lis- really listening to vocalists and the way they sing phrases. Um, I went through a phase where I would try to emulate Billie Holiday's phrasing with brushes on the snare, and that really helped me. Um, taking a deep breath and realizing that it's not about um, forcing the pulse and just like breathing, you know, that really helped me. Um, but I feel like that's a that's a journey I'll be on until uh, I can't play drums anymore, is just playing brushes and playing a ballad. One of my big, huge mentor and, and what my main teacher was Michael Carvin. He still teaches me, Michael, we, we talk on the phone and I feel like I just got a lesson every time. But um, Michael just told me he said you don't need it when you're playing brushes you don't need your hi-hat and you don't need uh, anything but your brushes in that and whatever surface you're playing it doesn't even have to be a snare drum Mm -hmm. and all you need is that pulse and that that you should he said you should be able to swing a whole big band just by playing that pulse and you don't need anything else so you know it's a journey I still practice that all the time
1: amazing wow Thank you for that, and and as you're again, so so fascinating to hear all of your journeys, all your stories, and and go. And I'm just thinking to myself, me too. (laughs) That's that happened to me, or that's the way I think of it, or anyway. But Marion, how about you, my dear? Were there things that you know songs that really turned you around that really really changed your life?
6: Yeah, there were, and I just want to say. Uh, ditto um, to um, Allison about playing a ballad with Shirley Horn. That would just be completely terrifying. I don't know how she managed to play a ballad so slowly. I just, and you know what, you know, the really funny thing that I find probably, I'm sure you, you know, you're, you, no one else has this problem. But I found that if a ballad is too slow, I could actually make it slower. <laughs> <laughs> Which you wouldn't think that. You'd be thinking your tendency would be to make a ballot go faster but if you get really nervous about it you're liable to slow a slow ballot down which is just as bad you're gonna say something
4: awesome i was gonna say i think you and i have done that together once or twice <laughs> i
6: believe so and uh yes no, listen
4: we we owned it we owned it when we did it.
6: <laughs> yeah a slow ballot can just be uh that can be just as hard as playing something over 300 beats per minute Okay, it's just a guitar in a different way. I have to say this too. Um, Jeff Clayton is the embodiment of Cannonball Adderley. I remember the first time I heard him, I thought, man, what a sound. His just so beautiful, and beautiful tone on alto. So just, I'm sure, you know, him playing uh, Stars Fell on, uh, uh, on Alabama, that's that a beautiful ballad. So thank you. Thanks for that to you.
1: Oh, thanks for saying that. I'll let him know.
6: Please do. Yeah, I sincerely just oh, just love his his sound on alto. <clears throat> well, I'll just say that there were there were several. Probably one of the things I always really liked about playing music, especially uh, being playing the bass, is that um, that you were kind of uh, the pivot point. And I I came to realize that from playing uh, playing orchestras when I was younger, at playing cello and bass, that especially especially bass. That you were really the pivot point, the the harmonic pivot point for for all the ensembles. And one of the things I loved about playing in orchestras when I was coming up was this being in these big ensembles and hearing the you know the melodies and the harmonies unfold over over all the sections. Um, that's something I never really got over. I love I love that. And even now, if I can you know I have a chance to play in any large ensemble works something that I just love so much. I don't have a chance to do nearly as much big band um, things that I like to, and I do actually, I've been touring a show called Too Hot to Handle for about some crazy number of years. But anyway, it's a large ensemble um, uh, arrangement of Handel's Messiah uh, that unfolds in jazz, gospel, Latin. Uh, Bob uh, Christensen is one of the uh, rangers on this. It. It's just, just amazing. But um, so anyway, so the, the piece, one of the pieces that I would like to um, uh, I would like to um, say was one of the things that was just really important to me was also a Cannonball Adderley piece, um, and it's um, this um, this has got a little story to it. So if you don't mind, I'll do a screen share and then a little story too. Uh, so anyway, so this was um, this was my this is my anthem when I was about 13. And uh, it was my anthem for quite a while because it took me quite a while before I actually did that. And it is this, it is this piece.
2: Never, never will I marry. This is definitely not Save Your Love.
6: that just that was on complete repeat of course it was a you know album when I was you know when I was listening to it and just first of all I I perceived Nancy Wilson as a horn player on that recording her um you know her phrasing and her her range and how you know how she interpreted that piece was very much like a horn player and it really put a great imprint on me about 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 vocalists about ensemble playing um the It was short. It was not a long piece at all. Um, The I just really I really love the accompaniment for her. I love the bass part in the front. Right. That that line is just so beautiful. And um, so anyway, I was just I was a deep dive into that entire record. So if you don't mind, I'm going to, if you indulge me a little longer, I will give you a little story. So the story is that um, uh, this was about in 2003. So this is post 9-11 and um, I'm uh, sitting, I'm like, I think I was at a gig down and uh, I'd done a, uh, like a drive-in gig down in like uh, Dayton, Ohio or something like that. And, um, I, and you know, I came back to Detroit, I think on Saturday and I was at a, I was at a, you know, at a concert. And I get a phone call from a friend of mine uh, who was working at the Detroit Symphony Orchestra. He's, he, was, he was one of their uh, personnel uh, folks. And he said, um, hey, Marion, would you like to do a gig with Nancy Wilson? And I said, um, <laughs> yeah, is this a trick? <laughs> so he said, yeah. Well, he said, well, you know, what happened was is that, okay, so, and now you can test uh, to, to this, um, JC is that um, after 9/11, it was real shaky trying to get a base on a plane, and that was when we were still we were still mostly traveling with 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 um, with you know coffins with big you know with our big travel cases, and it got to be a real dicey proposition to see whether or not you had to go look ahead of time to see whether or not. Your bass could even get on a plane, right? Your coffin could, your, you know, your, your, your travel trunk could get on a plane. So apparently John B., who has been a fabulous bass player for years, could not get his travel trunk on the plane. And he was he was out in Cali. They were coming from Cali. And the gig was on a Sunday. And he was not going to be able to get there in time. Uh, unless he, you know, had left, um, he was able to leave on Friday and come on Saturday. He wasn't going to be able to get to get to the gig on time. So they knew this by, they knew, knew this by Friday. So I think I got this call maybe Friday night. And um, so I actually um, got, ended up having to do a, a, a cold gig with Nancy Wilson with an orchestra. I mean, and this was before people were sending out PDFs or all that stuff. That was not the best they might do for you back and then, if, if you, all, you all remember, is they might they might fax you something, but nobody was gonna fax you a whole orchestra book. That was not gonna happen. Either they send it to you snail mail or you just gonna get it when you got there. And so I ended up having to get that book when I got there uh, to the re- orchestral rehearsal. Uh, with the, this is with Nancy, I uh, have Roy McCurdy with her and Lou Matthews, the great Lou Matthews on piano and Roy McCurdy on drums. And so um, I had to come in cold at a 10 o'clock AM rehearsal with this orchestra and play Nancy's book. And um, I was completely scared. The only thing that helped me was that I knew, I knew Nancy's music really pretty well. Cause I just had been loving her since I was 13. So, um, so when I got to the, so when I got to the gig, um, you know, uh, just, you know, just, you know, grace of God and just big ears, decent, decent, okay reading chops that, you know. And, uh, and, you know, super humility before her, Nancy and her Hannah uh, crew, who were just so, so fabulous. And the gig came off really well. And, um, and then I got what, what people very rarely get in this business, which I got an affirmation that the gig had gone well. Um, Lou Matthews actually sent an email to a friend of mine, not knowing that she knew me. And told him and told the told the friend of my friend uh, about the gig and that that they would had a guest you know basis on there and that that she had really done a good job and they were so 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 glad to have her that Nancy was really really happy and that things had gone well so so that is my that's my Nancy Wilson story and so it's a uh, so it's been a super long uh, super you know super many years of love affair and then if I'm gonna do if I could do one more little. Uh, little screen share. Let me see if I, can...
1: I. I just have to say I love that story, and and I <laughs> knock on wood. I also was able. was in Nancy's band for a while.
6: Were you really?
1: Yeah. So I toured with her quite a bit. Because oh. In the years that um, the John B ha- was working on the Arsenio Hall show, so I took his place, and um. I I just I I can so. Uh, understand everything you said from a personal experience standpoint and you know and then some because I got to spend more time with her but uh, she was truly an amazing human being as you probably sensed by just being around her that on that one gig I don't know if you saw her other times too but I I, I did did you saw her as well uh, other times
6: she was she remembered me and she was always, I've seen her a couple of times after that. That was my only time working with her. I am so jealous of you for getting to stand with her for a long time. But she was always so very lovely to me and was willing to, you know, she always just, you know, she yeah, was yeah. just princely. She was princely, uh, princessly. She's the queen that, that, uh, that gig. She just was so, so gracious and, you know, she could have, you know, you know, you know, there's no guarantee anybody's anyway. You got to be yourself. But mm-hmm. herself is just queen, queenly. That's I where know. herself was.
1: I know. And so I'm just curious, and this is one of the, my main point of the story. I'm just curious, did she know that you had children?
6: Um, no, she didn't know because I, no, she didn't know because I was, I probably <laughs> didn't, I didn't, I don't know that I told her that I had kids, okay. no, I only I didn't have because I did have two
1: she, I only ask that because she, uh, that was her thing. She wanted to know about um, people's connection to their family, to their children. So when she found out I had two kids, from that point on, every time I saw Nancy, she would always say, before basically before, immediately after saying hi to me, she'd say, how's your family? How are your kids? That's the kind of woman that she was. And of course, you hear that in her music. If you did the gig with her and you got to see her live as well, it was always just this this maternal come here, honey, kind of thing going on. And I, I'm so I'm sorry that 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 song, which I also loved forever, wasn't in the book. They weren't playing that when I was playing with
6: that. Was there anything from that recording on there? Was old country or any of that stuff from the Nancy Wilson Cannonball uh Stuff in the book
1: at all? I remember her doing one. uh, I think it might have been old country, but it wasn't an 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 every gig kind of thing because she'd had so many hits
6: after that. Oh, of course, of course, so many. I would have given my eye tooth to get on the tour with her. That would have just been so oh. lovely. But I was I just considered myself very fortunate to have had a, an opportunity as it was, uh to as it were to, you know, to mm-hmm. to get on there and you know to sit in John B's chair. For mm-hmm. even for a gig it was it was it was uh it was a super blessing and oh, something yeah. I will I definitely will never forget you know you know how this when you play with the, with the heroes you know
1: <laughs> I, do. I wish I could have been there to witness that because I you say you were nervous and everything but I know that music was killing
4: oh Marion Marion you can it's so cool to know that 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 record was such an influence for you because I can really hear it in your playing like it's such a such a direct connection, you know that one, my daughter, da, da, that moment in that tune. I was like, yeah, oh yes, Sam the, Jones, Sam, Sam Jones, John. yeah, that feel.
6: You know, Lewis Hayes is from Detroit. He's one of our Detroit, Detroit yeah. guys. Just, yeah, all that, that, all that, all that, you know, that home as they come home, and all that, you know, all that, all that deep dive uh bass playing that's 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 just that's my jam that's yeah that's that's definitely where i'm coming from (laughs) thank you for that (laughs) To to
1: hang with sam jones
6: no i never did did you
1: i I did but i just wondered because you it's obvious in your music like allison was saying that he affected your playing
6: yeah no i never had a chance to meet sam um, and so many that I did meet, but I never had a chance to meet Sam never did, which I really regret. You yeah, know. I,
1: I have another, you know, before we run out of time, I'm just curious, bringing it back to now. Um, what things have you guys uncovered, discovered, and explored during these times that we're going through right now? You know, how, what, what things have you added to your life? Now that maybe weren't present before. Anybody can start. I'll
4: say, I'll say, I got a ring light. (laughs) Sorry. Right? (laughs) Girl, I am totally using a ring light like more than I, I didn't even know what that was before the pandemic. Um, Me neither. (laughs) Ring light. um, What else? You know, I, I learned taught myself how to record drums at home, which has been really. It's made me have so much more respect for engineers than I ever. I mean, I I already did. You know, my dad's an engineer, but um, I had to learn how to record drums at home. And uh, my, I it's actually helped my connection with my dad too because he and I started talking more about engineering and. he started sending me I would just start getting these little packages in the mail of different mics that he's he's he has a ton of mics, you know, and he's not really recording anymore. So he would send me a mic and then I'd call him. And, you know, um, I love my dad most so much, but we were both both. I'm very similar to him in some ways, because I mean, I can talk if you give me a mic. I can really talk. I can go. But I'm actually a pretty quiet person. And my dad is, too. So. Uh, sometimes we just don't really always know what to say to each other. But uh, this engineering thing has really gotten us closer, which has been really great. Um, And I learned, I taught myself how to use logic. I would say those are the things that I've really been, um, have introduced, have been introduced into my life. And also I've been uh, just like Tia, you're going to laugh, but I've gotten like deeper into Beyonce during the pandemic. I've like, I'm like doing a deep dive into Beyonce
0: and no. Brandy
4: and Brandy's new record. I'm so into Brandy's new record. Have you... <laughs> that is
5: so wild. Why those two artists? I'm curious.
4: Well, I have I have a playlist like a Spotify playlist that I and um and uh, that I share, and so those couple like Beyonce tunes were put in there, and um this new and this new brandy record and i'm just into them like i just think this new brandy record is so avant-garde it's like avant-garde hip-hop i love it so much
5: that's so cool beyonce's black is king is actually really amazing i don't know if you checked it out but it's on disney um speaking about beyonce but (laughs) Yeah. yeah
1: the people need to know that you were a part of beyonce for many years right
5: yeah an extraordinary experience that still is with me every day, uh, the lessons that I learned there. Yeah, can I can I go next on the? uh... (laughs) Um, So, like Allison, I've learned what a stem is, and how to send an MP3 (laughs) file, and and export and import. So you know, what a DAW is and how to record. Um, My students are way more proficient in, in this, especially at Berkeley than I, so they have been my teachers in some respects, which is I'm really a blessing. Um, it's been really a blessing. Um, also, I started taking walks, which was like, that is such a treasure. I mean, it's it's very simple, but I, I'm, I always go to the gym Every now and then I would run, but I found the beauty of trails, which has really opened up my life for me. And the, I guess the serenity and the, um, just the reflection that happens in the midst of that. So that's something else that has been introduced to allow me to kind of woosaw. And there was one, oh, oh, and this is completely unrelated to music, but I, someone who didn't know what the stock market, the ups and what those pluses and minuses meant, I actually became a part of an investment group. And um, (laughs) so I'm I mean, I'm still not as proficient in that area. But at least I've learned a little bit more in that area. So I've kind of gone like this, you know, amidst the music, but kind of branched outward as far as, okay, let me just delve into this.
1: What stimulated that? How did you get into that?
5: This beautiful young lady over here who's my best friend, Margot Davis. <laughs> she's um she's senior vice president of uh in global payments and so and she's always invested. Um I didn't know to the extent that she did, but she just called me up one day and she was like, Tia, I'm starting an investment group just so we could just talk about stocks and she's looking at how they're rising and falling." And so it really started from there and one of the probably macro lessons that I've learned from that is it's important to diversify your portfolio. (laughs) She's laughing, but it's so important. Like as musicians, we just can't be out there playing. And I've always known this, but it's, to me, it's like, it's, it's in other aspects of life. and, And we have to, as musicians, we can't just be a musician, but we gotta, you know, be composers, arrangers, proficient at DAW, all of these different things, being a businessman, be a businesswoman, a, business a booking agent, like all of these things for ourselves in order to sustain ourselves. So that was just really confirmation.
1: <laughs> wow, what do you find yourself what have you discovered now in this time, Marian? what's what's added to your life?
6: there have been a few I, I love that diversify your portfolio i, I love i'm loving i'm loving i'm loving loving that to you that's 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 really really awesome well i will say one thing is that the scarlet scarlet focus White two by two is my friend <laughs> we spend a lot of time together in my little office <laughs> you, you have that too allison <laughs>
4: mary and I, re- I i i I remember when you got that, it was during Jerry Allen's camp. I remember when it arrived. (laughs) Yep. So that's my friend.
6: Scarlet. (laughs) (laughs) I will say also, let me see Here's. um, I spent a lot of time kind of get trying to get myself in any kind of um, decent. uh, I want to do a quick screen share here. So um, this is what um, some of my life looked like this summer. This is, uh, this is what how one rehearses at one's in one's uh, uh, during COVID. You rehearse in your backyard. So here, here, here's my band rehearsing for the Detroit Jazz Festival. And one of the things that I also did a lot of this summer was gardening. So, um, so that's, that's me. That's me uh, on base back there. We, uh, uh, most of us had our masks on. we were all masked up and I bought three tents. From Walmarts, so that we can be out there and have, you know, be able to safely uh, rehearse. Um, let's see. Uh
1: collard greens.
6: Yep, I was rocking my garden, was rocking the college this summer. And they were looking, they're looking real good too. And we're still enjoying them, which is which is the awesome part. And um, then, you know, so so I spent I spent a lot of time in uh, in the garden. I've spent a fair amount of time. Uh, trying to trying to be the uh, uh, recording engineer that I really didn't want to be, but you know, found out that I had to be. And then, um, then, and then I spent a lot of time with, with, with that, with that one. That's that's my young drummer son that I was I was able to to get to to start practicing long enough to so we could have, but so then we got to go right
1: group. back to practicing, bro. Come on now.
6: I, I'm saying I, I know. I, I just heard this was going
5: on. I had to check it out for a moment. <laughs>
6: Oh, back in the he's a big allison miller fan so he had to come he had to come and fan fan allison hey <laughs> Tariq, that's my son Tariq. just keep
4: just keep practicing don't worry about us just keep practicing oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. i want to i want to i want to hear you play so i can steal some of your licks
1: <laughs> don't speak too soon now
6: <laughs> <laughs> so um i spent a lot of time with my family but did you know that there's a difference between your upload speed and your download speed? Yes. So um, I found this out from, you know, of course, hanging out with, with, with people much younger than you is a really smart thing to do. So um, one, one, of, one of my young folks in the community, I was having a chat with him and I was complaining about how long it was taking me to upload things. And he said, he said, well, Miriam, go and find out what your upload speed is because you can you can you can adjust your upload speed through your carrier and then now since you know for us you know used to you know basically what they do is they set speeds for people who they assume are just basically downloading netflix and stuff like that but we as professionals are now having to upload so many files from our homes correct video files and audio files and so upload speeds are really a real a real thing and i adjusted my upload speed and completely changed my life so that's a little hint <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man.
3: Yeah. I didn't
6: know that. <laughs> yeah, I did not either. And I'm telling you, when I adjusted my upload speed, just, you know, that just, that, that, that thing, right, that was, that was the magic word. So that's, that's, that's my hit for us in our, in our tech talk part, you know, here.
4: You know, what's so, what's so cool, like just hearing everybody talk about what they've been, what they've discovered is that it's just kind of proof that we're so, um, we're adaptable musicians are we're resilient and we are adaptable and we do what we have to do to make it work right like we it's kind of like that um the poster tia that your mom had hanging up you know what it's like if you can what 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 was the the quote again
5: you can achieve it if you can dream it you can become it
4: yeah it's like we just we're like, okay, this is what's dealt with dealt to us. Now we, how do we shift to make it work? You know, it's it's beautiful, it's wonderful.
1: Wow, you know what? That's the perfect thought to to uh, close out the session with. I think because that that is beautiful. Thank you, Allison Miller. Thank you, Tia Fuller. Thank you, Marion Hayden. I adore all of you as people, number one, but also as artists. You're amazing, and I don't. I'm not. I'm not. BS, and I mean that from my heart.
4: Thank so, you. Thank yeah.
1: you, and we, we need a part two. We ran out of time. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <part two. Thank laughs> you, that was fun.
1: We got to do this again. Really fun. Yes. I love you all, and I'll see you guys later.
0: Have a great night, everybody. Thank you for listening to this Centrum podcast. The creator of Jazz Voicings is program manager Greg Miller, and our host is artistic director John Clayton. Centrum's executive director is Robert Berman. Centrum podcasts are produced by Taven Dotson, Owen Rowe, and Holly Miller. Our executive producer is Joe Gillard. With gratitude and respect, we acknowledge that we broadcast from the traditional lands of the Coast Salish peoples from the place known by the Sklalem people as Katai and today called Port Townsend, Washington. Centrum programs are based at Fort Warden State Park in Port Townsend. Centrum was founded in 1973 to foster creative arts experiences that change lives and is dedicated to building a world of greater inclusion through the arts. Other Centrum podcasts include Artists in Residence, Music from the Centrum Archives, and readings from the Port and Writers' Conference. To subscribe to any of our podcasts, or to support or participate in Centrum programs, visit our website at centrum.org. Thank you for listening. This podcast is copyright 2020, Centrum Foundation.